Honesty, how are ye? Welcome to another Candler Tales podcast. And this is a pre-show podcast because, well, we initially thought it'd be a great idea to start a podcast talking about how we want to design stories and how we want to talk about how to tell the stories. But it morphed into a story in a post-show because we never really got organized enough to do this. So um... <laughs> and uh, and we actually we actually did try this last week. We tried to do the discussion about the series before we did the series. And what happened on the podcast was, I think, the reason why we never actually did this as a, as a structured podcast, because you and I just full on had a fight. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically that's the great thing about Hegarty's. We're very good at fighting. And we're very good at getting over it. Get pissed <laughs> off, get over it, you know. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah, get pissed off. Don't talk to each other for a day and a half and then are grand again. <laughs> Savage. Um, I'm um, sure it's, it was obviously very comfortable for Rue and Oshin to witness. So sorry about that, guys. hilarious for us. Don't worry about it. Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> Don't no, feel we, I, I, we definitely enjoyed it. We definitely enjoyed it. Just some of your fights are more broadcastable than, than others. <laughs> I don't know if that one was really as digestible for the general public as so, some would be. I think, I think we just got a little frustrated with each other and neither of us wanted anyone else to hear it. Because we no. were like, no, I was too angry to think. So I just kept saying the same thing over and over again, but louder and swearier. <laughs> <laughs> so to fill, to fill you in there, guys, um, Essentially, we both we had a, a conversation about like how we'll set up the new series, and we both came up with an idea, essentially on the same phone call, and went off in two different directions, and then proceeded to not really listen to each other as we both got excited about two different, similar but highly different ideas, and we've decided to separate those out and make them two different series. So we've actually done a lot of work. We've come up with two great series. One for this year, one for next year. Um, and if you want to listen to this extremely exclusive content, this groundbreaking, revolutionary insight into our creation process and the bickering between the siblings, you can go on to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales and subscribe to our channel. You can throw us a little bit of change or you can like be a deadly head and throw us loads of change or whatever it is you want. And then you will get that exclusive content of that argument. Yeah, I'm not we, sure I could ever listen to it again, but hey, I'm not gonna. I guess. <laughs> but you know what? You guys can listen to it, and you can you can tell us what we think. We trust you, Patreon people. We trust you guys with our <laughs> messiness. <laughs> with our We've arguments. been through it once. We don't need it again. Like, no, no, we don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not someone else's bird. Yeah. yeah. So other people um, might might actually get some crack out of it. I don't know. I'm too close to it. Anyway, hopefully that will entice some people. <laughs> Or steer them completely clear of every be ever becoming a Patreon supporter, which I, would be terrible because Me. it's been keeping us going, lads, and we've been motivated ah. to keep on producing these podcasts because of all the Patreon support, Absolutely. and we've been able to afford it um, and putting in the time of it. Uh, so, Sarika, do you want to fill us in on what? So, this is the pre kind of uh, the introduction to the new series, and mm. the new series. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah. Do you want to tell us about what we're going to be doing from November to December? From November to December and maybe even a little bit of January because we have quite a list of people that we want to check in on, I think. Uh, yes. So for this series, um, we are taking individual characters and individual stories and we're kind of doing a zoom in on different perspectives of different characters. Now, it's been our tradition in Candlelit Tales to tell a version of the Tawn in November. That's what we started doing in the Stag's Head all those years ago. We've sort of, we've done it pretty much every year on the podcast. Our very first episode of the podcast came out in November and it was the Shadows of the Tawn, the live performance. And we did it again and we did it again. And I'm a little bit tawned out for the moment, although we are, you know, we are recording this just before we go into a week of doing Tawn shows, um, which maybe has something to do with that. So by the time this comes out, we will have finished all of the Tawn shows, I think. Um, but I, I was not relishing the thought of telling the Tawn even in a different way. I kind of wanted to take a break from the epic of it and just look at the people around it and the kind of personalities around it, because it's a huge story. Uh, it's an epic story, but there's also this is one of those things that we've talked about in our various different retellings of it. Anytime you tell a story, 
a lot of the decision, a lot of the work in telling a story is deciding the stories that you don't tell. So I mm. want we wanted to kind of look at the stories that we don't tell when we tell the tone. So all of these characters, all of these people that in some way maybe intersect with it. Some of them you will recognize very clearly from past tellings of the tone. Some of them will be familiar to people from previous episodes of the podcast, particularly when we were doing like the Death of the Ulster Men series. Um, so you'll you'll know them. You'll be able to go back and look at some of them and, you know, refresh your memory on them. But we are telling stories of the Ulster cycle. Um, and there is a kind of a. Yeah, the all of these people intersect with the tone and there's another link that we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah. And I, I guess it's important to kind of point out that the fact that like we um, are we've always been intrigued by the Ulster Cycle. We've actually gone back and over in, in different angles and, and looking at the different um, ways to tell it on both live performances. And we've great ideas, lads. Well, we think so. Uh, of reshaping it and keeping it fresh. And, um, you know, I had a perspective of making it in a new way, a slightly different way for, for next year. Interestingly, once I got my head around what your concept was, has begun to really excite me as well because the Tawn is a story that you can know and you can go back and listen to it and you'll hear some of the names in this coming podcast that will be linked to the Tawn where we're going to try and kind of mostly leave out the, the narration of the Tawn and keeping the... I guess keeping these episodes as standalone episodes, they're all going to be great stories. There's so much material in the Ulster Cycle. You have to take famously a winter to tell it. You know, mm -hmm. that's what it was. It was you started it on sewing and you finished it in spring. You know, there's so much there. So there's an ample amount of uh, information and stuff, resources for us to go and look, research. And so that's what's kind of exciting to try and put a few narratives together. And what we're going to try and do is stick very close to one perspective, the character that we choose. And we've written down a few characters and we kind of took a lucky dip and, and which ones jump out at what, what people. Uh, and we're all going to tell a few stories in this upcoming uh, podcast series. And so without further ado, um, we want to like maybe name some of these characters. Uh, which we're going to get into. Uh, so, Rue, you uh, do you want to tell us about the the character, the perspective, and what you're thinking about, and why you chose this character specifically for this upcoming podcast? Sure. Yeah. So, the character that I'm going to tell a story about is Ferdy McDammon, Ku uh, Cullen's best mate, who gets killed by Ku Cullen in in a very emotional high point of the taunt. Um, and I want to have a, a look at at him, the early days of him meeting Cucullan, him and Cucullan become the best mates on the Isle of Skye in Scotland, being trained by the warrior woman Scock, um, who trains the greatest warriors in the world. And the, the two of them are like, they, they, Ferdia is Cucullan's only equal on the Isle of Skye. Um, and there is some serious homoerotical undertones going on with, with their relationship that's been pointed out by scholars, which is just interesting. Like, um, and and would be and like that aspect of things, I'll be interested in exploring. Uh, and in terms of like, uh, did, did we say what the what the hook of the the premise is going to be? Yeah, I can't remember. Well, no, my bad. Yeah, the uh, I was I was gonna save it, but I think yeah, let's tell people about the battle rage, and sure. then I'll tell them why afterwards. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Well, there you go. The, the, the hook of the, the premise of this series is at the, at the team that's going to tie things together is battle rage. Um, and in relation to Ferdia, like I, I haven't I haven't directly come across anything um, that, that to 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 say that Ferdia himself has, has a particular battle rage. I don't uh, Aaron, Aaron or Surik, I don't know if, if, if you ever have with that. But like, I think um, the, the, I think that's cool because like the, the thing the thing that I'm interested in going into with Ferdia is kind of his experience of Cucullan's battle rage. And um, him as being kind of a foil to that, I kind of see them as maybe being two two different sides to to the one coin, whereby like, mm. like Cullen has that propensity to lose his shit completely and have 
about that battle rage. Um, so Kukulin is like Ferdia is like water to Kukulin's fire, and that and that the two of them operate fantastically together because they have the, a, a certain symbiosis, um, mm-hmm. and that that that, that Ferdia has a capacity to maybe cool down and direct um, Kukulin's focus. You know, so that's that's, that's really interesting. That, that's that's how I want to. That's how I want to explore that thing. That's mm. great, Rook. Because I've always thought that as Kukulin progresses as a warrior, as he gets older, you hear less about his battle rage. So the the kind of inference for me has always been that he's matured, even over in Skox Island. He's kind of he learned how to tamper or kind of uh, temper. Cool down. Temper, sorry, it's not temper. Temper with temper his um, his rage in order to be a more kind of well-rounded and more mature fighter uh, to try and not lose his shit and depend on it. And mm-hmm. we talked before about like how a trainer like Scott would have like seen the battle rage is losing control and, and not being good enough for the standard of her excellence and Ferdia having that very well much ingrained in him because he was at the school for longer than Kukulin. You know, he really graduated. Maybe Kukulin left. A bit well, it's. Bitter. I think it's. I think it's also kind of interesting. I think this series will be an interesting way of exploring, like, what is, what do we mean by battle rage? Because like Kukulin has a very literal battle rage, and that he has a physical transformation, and like he doesn't know friend from foe. But it's referred to in other, like it, it's 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 named as as something that other people have. Uh, but they don't tra- they don't change they don't, they don't shape shift in their battle rage that's a particular kind of feature of it that he seems to have and so the idea that I think is really interesting is like what is that moment of loss of control what is that moment of like seeing yourself from the outside if it's not the same as what it is for Kukulin because I think it's going to be different for different characters um, Interesting. I, though, there's there, there is something with with, with Ferdia that that do, that does happen where he does have a bit of a loss of control. I don't know if it's quite the same thing, but like he he has there's a moment of a loss of control with Ferdia in in a in the town where Maeve manages to trick him into agreeing to fight Kukulin, but just by getting a rise out of him yeah. and saying that like, oh yeah, we're, what she said about you must be true then that you're a bit of a chicken shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. In that moment, he loses he he loses his shit a bit and he shoots his fucking mouth off. Only takes and, a moment. <laughs> yeah, it only takes a moment, and then he's committed. Yeah, you know. So like, it, word, it's, yeah. it's in him. It's in him. Like, yeah, and that might be something to explore too. Yeah, I yeah, think that's... I think that'll be a really interesting one because the one that I think that was, um, like, I think that'll be fascinating to look at in in Ferdia, and I think the way that you described it for the character you're looking at, Oshin, is again different and really, really interesting. Um, do you want to tell everybody about uh, Finnever? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, because basically, uh, we weren't going to tell Finnever because she was be- got what, boring, uninteresting, and didn't do anything except died. Right. That was me, by <laughs> the way. I that was what I said. <laughs> All right, and I was yeah, like, l- lest yeah, anyone. Tell- Lest yeah, anyone levy any accusations of like you know misogyny again. That was me. Misogyny. That was my internalized misogyny. It was mine. Saz. It was New Year of misogyny. Yeah, yeah. We all are. We're swimming in the water. Um. Anyway, oh, go on. Okay. Thanks for claiming that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So, anyhow, I was like, no, 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 no. Her ma was Maeve. Maeve was an absolute weapon. Literally, you know, she's depicted as a weapon. <laughs> um, and Finnever had absolutely no way to defeat her, and her mom manipulated and controlled her, dangled prizes in front of her, dangled her as a prize, etc., etc., etc. And my take on it was the bad rage overcame her, and she took the prize away from Maeve, so therefore she couldn't get anyone to fight for her anymore, and ultimately decimated the fucking army. But just, you know, with the only way that she could. And um, that my, my take on it was like, yeah, ha, hmm. well, I know I'm not winning, but I'm going to hurt you as much as I can on the way out, which would definitely be my approach. Like, and it's a corner to that scenario. Yeah, and it's a fairly age old story of of a daughter getting back at her very powerful mother in whatever way that is possible to her. Uh, or so like, not even mothers and daughters. I mean, the 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 resonance it had for me was with Deirdre, 
when Deirdre yeah. is trapped and cornered and they're like, well, we have you now. And you're like a you between two rams. And what are you going to do? And that that's what she fucking does. They're yeah, like, fuck the, you, bitches. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> there's a real like there's a real tradition of like suicide as as fuck you in Irish myth. That's interesting that it's kind of like, yeah, it's, that's it's, that- it, it wasn't seen as a, a as a no hope option. It was seen as a last ditch warrior's exit kind of thing, you know. Mm. Yeah. Which is, I think, yeah, a really, you know, because yeah. ultimately, if you're one person standing there fighting against a hundred people invading, that's fucking suicide. It just looks more glorious than taking a load of tablets. At the yeah. end of the day, like you, you're not going to win. They're going to kill you. You know they're going to kill you. You're choosing to die. Yeah. So how many suicidal warriors do we, you know, are, are existing in? And is that the battle rage? Yeah. For sure. I think it's tapping and that, that whole um, kind of whole of, of whatever circumstance you have. And it's flinging yourself into battle and going, I'm going to take five guys down before they fucking have one stitch on me. You know, that's some form of control within a limited sphere of I'm, I'm fucked anyway you know yeah. so in, in, I'm, interestingly in the female uh, arc in, in both Deirdre and Finnever here we're talking about once they're basically taking any action any other action is completely out of, out of their control other than to take their own life which is to un, unrail completely the plans that are set in, set in stone and their so-called destiny that is perceived from outside fa- forces. And so by by doing something that, that shifts it, it completely throws open the dawn and Maeve has to kind of get over that and, and find a way, a she, way around. Yeah, I mean, I think she doesn't. The point is that she doesn't. Because no, Finever was, just... that's that's the thing. Finever's action was extremely effective in uh, fucking up her mom's plans. You see, the whole point was Finever was actually how Maeve kept all the army under control and not killing each other. Dangling you, can, you can have this if you don't fuck up. And, you know, Finever's point of view was like, oh, well, I, love, I, I, I love this too. You know, I want whatever. And then got used into him into killing himself. And I, I suppose there's also like looking at, and I, I don't know where, where you're going to pick up the story or where you're going to end it, but like, I, I, my, I don't know, mind always goes to imagine growing up with Maeve as your mother, like that, that kind of a powerhouse, that, that strong woman. And, you know, she's remarkable, but like, imagine growing up in her shadow and it must. Oh, must, she's. I mean, she's she's a lot of things, but she's she's not a good mom. <laughs> she's not even a good person. She's not a good person, but she's definitely she's not really like, a good king. No, she's not. You like, know? she's a, she's an absolutely on record terrible parent. Like she names all her sons the same name because she thinks that they'll be prophesized to King Krahor to kill Krahor. Then it turns out it's a different prophecy about a different King Krahor. Like it's it's hilarious some of the shit that Maeve gets up to. So yeah, like she's 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 a she's a lot of stuff. But yeah, good good person, good mother, not on the list. Um, <laughs> well, this is actually yeah, she's a little bit she's a little bit woman who is powerful by acting like you know masculine. Um, in in that sense that like are you one yeah. in the Tyrannos case? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, my tie-in on the battle rage then is uh, another interesting aside. I don't know whether I'll actually explore it or not, but um, there is quite a high amount of young male suicide in Ireland. And it's like, has that been systemically drawn back down from all the way back when like young men were essentially conditioned to fucking sacrifice themselves in battle to protect everybody else? You know, like, it's, you know, you see all the Viking stuff and all the rest. I'm going to Valhalla for glory, etc. You know. Mm. Where's our, you know, like in Ireland, it was death. This is the other thing with the death. Did they just think, oh, we're going to flip over to the other world and have a session now again? 
I think yeah, that's I mean, I think, yeah. this is an interesting idea that like you know I've I've definitely seen it written that like warriors in the ancient world one of the reasons they didn't fear death was because they had such a belief in like reincarnation and coming back in the other world and like you'd pop over to the other world for a bit and then you'd be back in a little yeah. while and it'd be like all you play rounds on battlefields you know you get shot wait five seconds back on the yeah know, that it was a... back in and wait and, and especially that, if you died gloriously and people kept talking about you, you would never really leave. And it's that usefulness thing. It's like being of use to a society. And when a society is broken down in the way that, you know, you could argue today's society has done in many factions and ways that young men who are taking their own life don't find value in what they are doing and able to provide for others or within the system. And so if we're looking at the transgenerational kind of passing on of a tradition of dying or going to war or basically throwing your life on the line, which was to protect a tribe, to fight and provide money or do something of value. And even if their life was, you know, just using their life in order to at least, you know, do that and send money home to the parents in Ireland, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, you're providing something and you're being of use in some form. But now without that, there's a massive, unfortunately, uh, still consistent uh, desire to take care. Yeah, let's let's put a suicide hotline number on the uh, show notes of all these episodes, by the way, just because suicidality can be a little bit fucking contagious. And uh, I think we want to make sure that people actually have the resources to reach out if they if that starts seeming like a good idea, you know. Yeah. And yeah, never is. And like my dad's. Our father's a psychotherapist who talks adamantly, you know, and, and frequently uh, out uh, about um, suicide prevention as well um, and, and ways in which men can get together and actually communicate. So, uh, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, that's I think we'll, we'll put that. some yeah. we'll put some resources on on every time. we. So we unless, unless, unless your ma has a massive army and is causing a whole load of chaos all around the land, don't go for it. There's probably yeah. a better, there's yeah. definitely a better option. Yes. But. <laughs> no, Listen, but, no, but. If you're Finnever. Stop justifying it. <laughs> Please stop justifying it. But yeah, um, I think that's going to be an interesting one to dig into. And I think the specifics. That's my whole story, man. Yeah, but I think the specifics of that story are really important. And I think the idea of, you know, violence to yourself as a, as a revenge against other people when you've been so mm. kind of objectified and instrumentalized the way that Finnever is in that story. So that it's like, well, if you're going to treat me as an object, I'm going to break the fucking object. And then you can't do yeah, that no. to me anymore. Uh, it's, it's not violence against herself. Um, that's not the thought process in her head. In, from, from my point of view at all, it's not a self-harm thing. It's she knows who she needs to fucking kill to completely fuck up her ma's fucking plans. Yeah. Unfortunately, that person is her, and she is close enough to do it. Yes, it's like not that. that she's fucking killing herself; it's that she's assassinating herself to take her ma's fucking army out of it. And that's think... very important because I don't want to be promoting fucking suicide, as we were just saying. Sorry, I think, I think that's a that. very good distinction. I think that's great because it is. It's like a planned assassination against the key important person that will unravel this whole thing. Oops, it's me. Well, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that brings us back to even talking about like the origin of, of where this, you know, series came from, which is like focusing in on and our challenge as, as storytellers for this series is really focusing in, whether it's first person or kind of a third person narrator um, kind of uh, voice to tell what the character sees, what's in front of them, what's what's in their periphery, uh, only and and to uh, explain their mental process opposed to uh the story which they're intertwined in you know yep. it's it's they're very central and it's a thin line and we have to cut out a lot of details mm. and it, it, it adds a lot of you know when you research these things you find out a hell of a lot of detail about a character and oftentimes it's stuff that they mightn't actually have seen or known about so we have to like you find the point of view uh, and the point of action from where they're looking and, and tell it from there. So that yes. would be the challenge for all of us. Narrowing it in. And then I think it, having the, the it, it always feels a little bit ballsy to just say, and then the tone happened and not say anything else. 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to be like, to kind of name name drop this epic without actually explaining what it is and just yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. using it as like, well, before the taunt, this happened and during the taunt, this happened. And like, that will, I think, be inter- like, I think it, in your one, Oshin, it's going to be a little bit like you are going to have to go into the, the tactics of Maeve's army a little bit, but I also don't think it's necessarily going to be about, I, you know, I don't think anybody but Aaron should be talking about the brown bulls and the white bulls because. Well, here's the thing. If you're telling a story about World War One, you don't call it World War One. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> you call it the war that's happening now. Yeah. Very good point. That's you know, point. so it wasn't called a ton until well, afterwards. I mean, it was just so from Finnever's point of view, she's just no. I think this is a kind of an interesting conversation. This is a little bit of a tangent, but ton just means cattle right. So yes. I think when they were in it, they did call it the ton. It was a ton. It was it was it was it was it was the ton that we're on right now. Yeah. It's it's a bit like a war that is called war. Like th- yeah. that's the <laughs> war. <laughs> right What's good for them? while it's happening you just call <laughs> it the war <laughs> after it happened it was so huge that people called it the taunt while it was happening it was the taunt that's happening now after it happened it became capital t capital t the taunt oh yeah because of course like tons were fucking you know you, you like that was the crack back then yeah. let's go on a rage <laughs> Murphy's yeah, Murphy's got yeah. a big fucking fat cow, big fat fucking fleet of cows over there. Let's go whip them. Let's Tonbo ta- Murphy. That's it. That's yeah. what that would have been called. Tonbo Fleetus, yeah. Catarade Fleetus, Tonbo Kunla, Catarade Cooley. And this is the Tonbo Kunla. So. You couldn't have any boasts then if there was no tons. Exactly. And it's so it's so, so interesting that like have like uh you know a character in a, like again you, you saving brave rain you don't really need to know the context of you know you, you just it's like there's a thing that uh, from this perspective we're doing it bombs going off left right and center we don't yeah. need to know what exactly is the reason that the politics pointed because we're invested in the human story that is strapped in this chaos exactly so that's kind of what we're all looking at. Yeah, treat it as something that is that is as well known as it is by now. If somebody's been listening to our podcast from the first, and the nice thing about a podcast is that if people haven't, they can go back and listen. Um, and importantly, as I said, I think you know if you take the thorn or the cattle raid or whatever it is as something that is just war, mm-hmm. then you all the ins and outs of it. These stories should on their own all stand completely solidly on their own. As we've always said, you don't need to know, you don't need to be an expert to, to actually get into the emotionality of these stories. You, you like they're so the characters are so big and the archetypes are so strong that you resonate with something within them if if we do our job right. Yes. You know? So yeah. tell us about your story, Aaron. Uh which one? Um, which one which one are you doing first? <laughs> So I'm I'm a little stuck on leg. We've decided not to do the main characters because they're too central. Because yeah. to do any of them, you're just kind of stuck. You're just going to end up telling this on anyway. Yeah, and I think leg is a really interesting character because he seems to be Cucullin's only friend from early, and leg is kind of with him from the from early on when he changes his name. He's his he wants when Cucullin takes up his arms for the very first time. He asks the king to let his friend Leg drive the chariot. King's like, fuck no, I'm not letting two hot headed youths uh, on the first day taking up arms. So he sends him off with another boring lad who chews ear off. Ebar, the charioteer. <laughs> Ebar is my favorite character in the Kukulin cycle because he's just like, that field over there is the field with the big guys. And, and, and thusly gets all the way to the border, just shouting on about landmarks. That's how he does it. It's great. Kukulin's just like, oh, what's that? And what's that? Great. Okay, go over there. He's like, oh, shit, where are we? Uh, so anyway, um, I, I find it interesting because Kukulin is, you know, out of things and he's glorified a lot of times as an amazing hero a transformative character a character within Irish mythology that is lauded and something to look up to and oftentimes we we pay 
and we go, well, actually, he leads a tragic life. He is often caught saying very misogynistic things against women. He doesn't want to be, um, he has no uh, time for being uh, seen as being below a woman. Maybe he's okay with being an equal, but not uh, to be, um, to have one as a superior. And so, he, he's, he's a flawed individual and he leads a tragic life. And so I think having somebody who trusts him so much so with his own life that he'll hop up on the chariot and wear a light deer, deer skin tunic while, while driving the fearsome um, chariot, uh, the war chariot that's studded with knives and spears and because he won't even wear armor because he trusts the Kukulin will protect him. And... He's also uh, the only person who's allowed to insult Kukulin to bring on the battle rage. And so there, there's so much in the Kukulin story from, you know, I was thinking of, of even tying in the, um, the uh, intoxication of Ulsterman. You know, when, when, when Leg is, is driving the chariot with Kukulin going, it's over there, it's over there. And they, they drive intoxicated from all the way in Ulster down to Munster. And Leg is like, I should probably stop trusting this guy. Absolutely. Like, when does he have doubts? That's my my question for Leg. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point does he doubt the uh, the leadership of Ku Cullen? Well, I think and- I think that's a, there's a really interesting thing in there, which is like, you know, you know, the concept of the halo effect, mm. which is this he's idea that if somebody's good, good at, at if he's good at one thing, we think they're good at everything. And like if somebody's we do this with like good looking people as well, we think if they're good looking, they they must also be good at stuff um, or they must also be good. And so I think the halo effect would be an, is an interesting one to explore with Kukulin of like, here's this incredibly competent warrior uh, who's also inc- incredibly impulsive and immature. But like if you grow up in a warrior culture where being a warrior is the most important thing and he's incredibly competent at that thing, I it would make sense that another young man like Leg would be like, wow, this guy just has it all figured out. And I think the fact that he ends up hanging out with Kukulin so much and seeing so much of his less uh, stellar side being kind of a dawning realization of like, he actually doesn't really know what he's doing outside the battlefield. And he gets into things that he has no right to be getting into. And he only gets out of them because he's like supernaturally fucking talented at war, at killing people. Uh, but that's not maybe great either. Like you were going to say something much. Well, I was going to say something, but I'm going to go, yeah, he's a bit of an archer. <laughs> he is a bit of an archer. But also, the, the whole point, except that Archer's redeeming quality is that he actually does care about the people around him. Woodhouse. And doesn't want, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Whereas the problem, I, the, the big the big issue I have does he? with Ku Cullen, he cares enough to get coarse sand to pour it in his eyes to teach him better. <laughs> of He's very sad when Woodhouse dies. Yeah. Hey, let's get off Archer. Let's get off anyway. Archer. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my point being is that like Kukulin, Archer podcast now. Kukulin's, Kukulin's motivation is always glory. He's just yeah. in it for the fucking ego and the story. He doesn't give a fuck about anything except getting his fucking glorious fucking battle story written about him. Whereas Colonel Carnock, for example, is the, ex- you know, the exemplary fucking lone warrior Gary guarding the border, etc. And had a choice. He didn't have to be. You know what I mean? He could have fucked off, but he's like, no, this is my job. Whereas Cullen's just like constantly insecure and looking for his fucking glory day. And he, it's not like, oh, I want to protect all the Ulster men because I'm protecting the Ulster men. It's because I'm protecting all the Ulster men because I'll be fucking glorious doing it. There's an element of that, and I would agree with that, but I also think, and this is what I want to go, go, get, in, get into with Leg, is how they're brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How they're trained. Like, where does this come that, from? Where does this come from? And, and so, like, yeah. it's honor. It's to your word. It's to, like when he when Kukulin meets Fergus in the thorn there, and he says uh, at the ford, Fergus says, "Okay, you have to run away from me today." And Kukulin's response is, "No, you train me yourself. I'll not run away from anybody. Don't make me kill you." So but I also it's a psychopath code. That's how you it's how you control the psychopaths. It's you not. It's not just the psychopath code, though, because you got to remember that by the time that Leg and Kukulin are being brought up, the curse is already in effect. This is a propaganda fear factor thing. 
Like mm. the old, this is the reason that Kruhur Magnesseth put so much resources and so much time and so much energy into his warriors and into the reputation of his warriors is because he absolutely knows that if anybody invades them, they're fucked because they're under a curse and they can't defend themselves. So his whole thing with the Crave Rua from before Kukulin shows up in Awanmaka is everybody has to be too afraid of Ulster to invade. Everybody has to be so frightened of us that they won't come near us because if they come near us, we'll crumble. So it's a there's a really interesting little like house of cards dynamic going on there where like he's a he's a powerful king. He's got a, a, and, and that's part of why they're so expansionistic as well, right? This is a time when Ulster is pushing out the borders and is pressing on the other provinces. But it is totally, I think this is one of those really, cool mythic things where it's like oh that's so psychologically true that like Mm. the bravado and the like aggression is absolutely hiding a just completely castrated weakness at its core they have nothing yeah like anytime you see that in history it is it is always a front for an inner weakness and vulnerability it is always a front for somebody who's like i'm fucking shitting myself and I That's need you to not you know that. And I need you to be more afraid of me than I am of you. It's exactly it, yeah. If, if the Irish actually rolls up the whole nine million of them against the Black and Tans altogether, or anyone's fucked. Uh, it was the fact that... Well, it was the British. Made. It was actually a British army. They sent the Black and Tans to terrify them for the army's sake, not the Black and Tans' sake. That yeah. was why they had no army left because they were all fucked. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, right, we really have to scare these people now. And it's like... So that's been going on since whenever the Red Branch were around. Yeah, at least. So, Probably an old tactic then. Because that, that's that kind of historical, be, isn't it? It's around 3,000 years or the, old, the, the stories are around. I, I actually don't know. I made that number up just now. I'm realizing. Answers in it. the comments below. Get into, Answers in the comments. Stick with mythic time. Stick with Listen, mythic time. I'm already uh, terrified that it's already this week all of a sudden out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Well, like the last thing I say, I say on on leg is I think there's enough material between uh, the stories in and around Cucullin and and what I've I've kind of found on leg and and his kind of reputation that I'll be able to piece together a story to bring him and Cucullin up to uh, the the border of Ulster where they see the army approaching. And then leave it. I'm kind of planning and kind of maybe leaving it there because I think there's enough to surround the story. And I love that idea of the propaganda being big and the fact that they had to go after raid and raid and raid and devastate and destroy the surrounding uh, areas so no one in their right mind would ever launch an attack on them. So yeah. I think that's, that'll be a really interesting aspect of that story. Thank you. That'll be cool. Um, and and you'll have, I'm sure he'll have a moment of battle rage at some point. Yes. Or or yes. at least a moment of being a little bit outside himself, that kind of. Um, and and with that, then I, I think I'll, oh, do you have it? I, I well, I, again, in terms of losing control, as, as Ruth mentioned with, with Ferdia, where I had placed that battle rage was kind of in the in the um in the uh intoxication of Ulsterman when he's intoxicated he's locked in a house that's about to burn and Cucullin just jumps out the roof and he's going nobody fucking likes him I'm the only one who sticks around for him and it's fucking arsehole for the first time he kind of like breaks and that halo effect shatters and he's realized he's just a fucking flawed human for the first time perhaps yeah because um, Cucullin's so a dick to him in that story makes him yeah. wait outside the party in the cold till midnight and then Absolutely. leads him to the wrong part of the country and then leaves him cooking exactly. a fucking house so I think that's yeah. a good one I think that's a very good <laughs> yeah, one I think so yeah uh, I love to look at disillusionment in people's faces when yeah. they break the halo effect it's like no I never said I was good at that <laughs> I love uh, this shit stuff amazing <laughs> Um, so I'm going to bring it back around to, I think I'm just going to say a little bit about the first story that I'm doing, which is the story of uh, Finn Kim, which is the mother of Colonel Kiernock, who has a 
difficult time having any children and then has a fairly supernatural child. And I think what was really interesting to me about taking it from her perspective is that she is guarded through all her pregnancy by Ket McMothock, who's her brother. Uh, who's really, really good to her and really protects her and really minds her. And then as soon as her son is born and it is prophesied that he will be a great warrior of Ulster, Keth McMotta tries to murder him in front of his mother, uh, Keth's sister. Uh, and she she flies into a rage and gets her warrior brother off her baby um, and then raises Connell of the Crooked Neck, who has a crooked neck from the time his uncle stood on his neck. And the two of them, Connell and Ket are never referred to as uncle and nephew in the way that these kinds of like familial words are often kind of just left out in myths, but they are fucking sworn enemies and they, they run into each other again and again and again. Uh, they run into each other in Macdaho's pig and they run into each other in the final death story of Connolly Carnock. And Ket is one of the, is the warrior who kills Crohor Magnessa. Like they come up again and again and again, and they are these bitter, bitter, bitter enemies. And in between their relationship is this woman, Finkim, whose brother, who's sorry, uh, sister to one and mother of the other. And I think that's a really interesting um, character to look into. In terms of the story then, Sorica, she's quite a watcher so she's observing will you do you think you'll be kind of in, in inhabiting her perspective or kind of seeing through her eyes i or how, how do you think the it? most interesting point in her story is the day that she gives birth to the child and fights her brother i think yeah. that's that's to me that's her story is is the 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 conception and pregnancy i think that's the yeah. most interesting part of her uh, her story is, yeah. is there. I'm not really going to get into Cunnell and Kesh and their long, bitter rivalry because I don't think her perspective... But it's all like, stated like, in that anyway, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's... it's, it's this is going to keep happening. It's going to hurt her every time um, in the same way that it does the first time. But yeah. So the reason that we are... Just to give everyone the, the kind, of, kind of wrap up, the last story that we're going to have in this series, uh, which will come sometime in December or January, depending on how many stories we pick out between now and then. I've got another one or two. Um, so the idea, the the perspective that we're going to finish with is the perspective of the Morrigan. And specifically the Morrigan, we've talked about this before, is not actually the goddess of battle. She's the goddess of battle rage. And there's an old idea that you see in kind of classic mythology, uh, in Greek mythology, like you don't say you're in love, you say you're, you're, uh, Aphrodite is in you. Like there is a way of talking poetically about the gods as they are kind of an energy that comes in and inhabits you. And I really liked that idea for the Morrigan. Um, and to actually go and touch all of these characters through the eyes of the Morrigan. Um, and also to give the Morrigan a bit of voice about her tension with Cú Cullen, because Cú Cullen and the Morrigan have a really interesting dynamic in that, as you, as you mentioned, Aaron, he's, he's, he's a, he's, he is not able to deal with women who are superior to him. And I do think like a lot of Cú Cullen's character is, he's very much characterized as an immature um, person he's someone who never really fully grows up and I think that that's very characteristic of kind of immature men that they have a real kind of mammy issue like they're not okay with powerful women they get real weird around it and real domineering and real shitty um, and I think that's something that Ku Cullen does quite a lot um, in the, throughout mm. the story but he particularly expresses it and he expresses it repeatedly in his encounters with the goddess Morrigan she should be he should be her favorite. They should on paper be getting along great because he has this incredible battle rage and he's an incredible warrior. But every time she comes to him, he disrespects her. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really interesting dynamic because I also think that this is a sort of an ego thing. Um, and I think it's something that like for me, battle rage, as I'm kind of conceiving of this story, battle rage and ecstasy and sort of flow state all kind of come in together. Mm. Like, you know, that, you know, that flow that you get into when you're doing something that you're really, really involved in and your ego kind of falls away. I think that's a really important part of a creative process. And I also think it's a really important thing to be able to 
like not try and put your ego back onto because if you start thinking of it as something that you're doing and that it is very special about you uh you tend to fuck it up (laughs) and I think if you see it as something that's a little bit like you know there's some kind of spirit moving through me right now and I don't really know what it is but I'm gonna let it do what it's doing I think you're kind of it's it's I don't know I've always found that a slightly healthier approach to slightly depersonalize that kind those kinds of moments and I think that's where the kind of god goddess thing for me becomes quite useful language um and I think that Cucullin was never able to do that I think Cucullin thought that the battle rage was his and the Morrigan thought that his battle rage was hers and that was what their tension was about I think that was where their beef came from was that he was like no this is because I'm a brilliant warrior and she was like no this is a gift I'm giving you and you need to fucking own up to the fact that I'm giving this to you this isn't you and if we if we're taking the kind of like the, the leap that Morrigan has kind of is, is able to almost see through the eyes or whatever we want to do it of someone who's losing their shit or going yeah. into that flow state then she has access to kind of that perspective every time yeah. and so we're going to jump in then through all of the characters that we see yes. or, or touch on to link them all back together yes and I'm gonna have fun are... with that I'm gonna yeah. I, like that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun thing that I'm looking forward to writing once we have all of these moments together because I yeah. I'm I'm thinking of putting it to something like something a little bit rhythmic where the beating of your heart is the beating of my wings and and like you know that kind of a linking between the different scenes that people would be able to recognize from the stories that they've heard over the last several weeks of like oh that's her and that's him and that's the guy and that's your one like I think that'll be that'll just be a cool um, rounding and grounding of the whole series um through the Morrigan so that's the plan that's the plan um do we have a name for this series (laughs) yet I think we were talking about calling it battle rage Battle Rage. Battle Rage. Does that work for a podcast series? Battle Rage? Sweet. Well, in terms of, I just want to know. Yeah, Battle Rage. The Battle Rage. The Battle Rage. Um, The Battle Rage. Do we have, okay, so we have a short list of other characters. We don't have to get get into them now because I certainly haven't quite got my head around all of them yet. I am planning on telling uh, Frook um the swine herd of monster who are is rocked fuck i've forgotten i don't know i sent you the dictionary Um, entry on that and it's real brief but it does tell you which one is which and i think we've been getting it backwards for years fuck Um, (laughs) one of the swine herds one of the the spirit (laughs) of the bulls so i'm gonna have to unconfuse whoever is listening to this now as well in my podcast that'll be a challenge I have to unconfuse myself and that'll be difficult um, and kind of go into the mindset of somebody who gets lost in that battle rage for so long they forget themselves completely for so long that they're born a completely different animal in a diff- completely different time until they eventually remember and uh, kind of die so I think that'll be mm. that again I'm, I'm planning a fairly rhythmic kind of a something that's kind of hypnotic in terms of getting frustrated and getting into it and then getting stuck mm. at it and getting lost we'll, in that. We'll talk about these a little bit more extensively, I think, in the next chat. Um, yeah. But uh, does anybody else sure. have another one that they want to throw into the pot? I'm I'm looking at Nessa because I think she's deadly. Uh, Rue? No, I, I don't. Can I just say quickly that I'm after looking up the Fruok thing and he's he's the one who turns into the brown bowl of Ulster anyway. Good, um, good. I, I don't know what because he does he come from fucking monster I think, originally? I know I think he comes from Connacht originally, and we've oh, always yes. thought that he comes from Munster originally, but when I looked it up in the dictionary the other day, it was the other way around. So oops. Oops. Okay. Sorry, oops. everybody, that we okay. told that too wrong. But we kept getting confused, and we're from Cork, so we really wanted him to be from Munster, and I think we just made him be from I, Munster out of patriotism. Think, yeah. Yeah, whoops. Um, take the cork man out of cork, but you can't take the cork out of the man. Something like that. You can actually take the cork out of all of the men. Um, <laughs> Thank God I'm still in cork uh, at the moment. <laughs> Just for that, this moment. Um, okay, well, look, I'll, I'll, um, I'll be lucky. I think looking it up. Um, so, Rue, did you have another inkling towards another character? Or are you going to keep no, it? I have to leg I'm uh, and Oshin has run out of time, so yeah. that's good. 
No, uh, I, I think I think I'm happy to just focus on Ferdy. If that's all right. Yes. Uh, Oshin has gone into Tiernan Og. I think he's just Oshin has, he does has pulled a fade. He does, he does do that. that. He does do that. Does, yeah. Well, listen. I think that's good. Uh, I think we're we're up to um, where we needed to get to anyway. So. Anything yeah. else we want to say? I was planning on possibly doing Big Crew, still not sure. Um, and then your other ones were? My other one was Nessa. And I'm also looking at, there was a character that I found when I was looking up Finnever, who's called Freyak, who is apparently, Freyak is the person that she was in love with, not Ferdia. Uh, they tend to get, tended to get amalgamated together, but there's a whole load of stories about Freyak and the wooing of Finnever. And all of the different quests he goes on to try to win her hand. And then Cucullin murders him at the ford without a thought. So and is this when the she the she moans open up. This I think is this character. I think it's the same character. We were talking about Pretty Fairy Man, and I think it's I think that is Freak, but I, I have to double check that against the Lady Gregory one. So that might be an interesting one to do because he's just like a whole other whole other story but it also might be a good one to leave for february because it's very lovers and it might be good kind of valentine kind of a one to do you know mm. we always like a tragic love story for that it seems quite involved so looking at that well look, not we decided have, definitely have four good ones we probably have six anyway and we'll we'll see what happens after the next few episodes Stay tuned, and uh, if you want, as I said, to support the podcast and help us out a little bit, you can go to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. You can also listen to the arguments between uh, the siblings where Rue and Oshin had to go very quiet because they couldn't get a word in edgeways because we were just fighting. We were just um, shouting over each other. I remember Oshin was taking Zurich's side, and I, I just like jumped in to take Aaron's side just for the fucking crack of it and for balance. Like, was like all right, room. If, if it's going to be war, then let's have war. Let's have, let's have a fair war. Let's have somebody in everybody's corner. I remember just having a pen in my mouth for entire stretches of that, where I was like, you need to stop talking for a few minutes, but I still wasn't actually able to calm down enough to listen. So it wasn't very good exercise uh, it didn't help as much as i thought it did at the time <laughs> i mean it's it's our it's our process we got to fight about stuff and then come around to agreeing uh, but yes something. that'll be on the patreon i believe by the time this goes out all of our upcoming Samhain dates will be over but i hope if we saw you you enjoyed them and uh we said hello and we're um you had a nice time yes, maybe we indeed. saw you Hi. Maybe we saw you. Hi. And from all of us at the Candle Tales team, goodbye. <laughs> For now. Right. It's long.